Nancy Pelosi survived a spirited challenge from Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan this week to win another term as House Democratic leader. While Pelosi accurately predicted the number of votes she wound up getting, her win didn't exactly smooth over divisions among Democrats still rattled by election results that kept them a minority party in Congress. Questions linger over whether changes are needed to a House leadership team that's been more or less intact for more than a decade and that's presided over three straight election cycles during which Democrats failed to retake control of the House. I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by CQ Magazine Deputy Editor Jason Dick. Uh, Jason, Pelosi failed to get the votes of a third of her caucus. Should she be worried? It's not that she should be worried about another challenge to her leadership, another member of Congress, uh, you know, usurping her power or getting the, the, the right number of votes to overturn, you know, any of this. What she should be worrying about is that there are 63 members that have gone on record as basically saying, even though I'm pretty sure this is a hopeless cause, I'm voting against you, and which can carry ramifications. So there are people who are that concerned that Democrats are losing traction, that they're in danger of slipping into irrelevancy in Washington, that they are, they're challenging her. And that's not an easy task. It does take a lot of bravery to do this. This is the most powerful woman in American politics. And they said, like, count me in as being against her. In a way, it's a microcosm of the civil war underway within the broader Democratic Party. Uh, lawmakers from Rust Belt districts that Donald Trump carried, they want a clearer message of change or hope from party leaders. And, and a San Francisco liberal like Pelosi doesn't exactly seem like the ideal face for this. Right. And you know, one thing that's I think important to, to sort of note is that San Francisco hasn't always been, you know, a latte sipping, Google, you know, employed uh, sort of ride sharing economy. I mean, it, it this is was originally a working class town. Uh, there were several military installations there. I mean, it was a middle class place. And that is where Nancy Pelosi's roots are. That sometimes gets a little lost in the conversation. Uh, she's also not from San Francisco. She's from Baltimore. And I think the key to understanding who Nancy Pelosi is, and it showed again in her vote counting apparatus is that she is the daughter of a mayor of Baltimore, Thomas D'Alessandro. And when she was, uh, you know, uh, coming up in the ranks, so to speak, of the family business as a teenager, she kept the favor book for her father. Mm -hmm. So she knows how to count. She knows how to, you know, keep people involved in her own leadership structure or, or, or an organization. And but but somehow that has gotten lost. And she is, you know, now that Hillary Clinton has been vanquished at the presidential level, she is going to most likely return to being the Republicans bete noir, you know, this person who they get to say, look at this cheese eating, wine drinking, San Francisco liberal who just sits there and doesn't understand anything about the cares of of real Americans in the middle of the country. And that, again, that, that is just an easy characterization. And what we've seen, particularly at the presidential level, is that those stereotypes tend to stick. And this is one of the, Tim Ryan's arguments, is that it's not that there's that much daylight between his message and, and Nancy Pelosi's message, that we have to lift up families at the middle class. It's that they spent millions and millions and millions of dollars um, sort of painting her as being out of touch, and people believed it. 
Yeah, it was a stereotype that worked in 2010 when the uh, Republicans retook the chamber. Uh, you've written about frustration among younger Democrats trying to crack Pelosi's top leadership circle, which is dominated by veterans like Steny Hoyer and Jim Clyburn. And, and some of that younger generation has fr frankly departed to run for the Senate or from some other public office. Correct. And Chris Van Hollen is, is probably the best example of this. He's a He was a member from Maryland, the Maryland suburbs of Washington, D.C. Um, he was from Kensington. He was, you know, in his 50s, he was the assistant to the speaker after he was the, you know, he helped run the House Democrats campaign apparatus in 2009, where they gained all these seats and had a high water mark of 257 seats. And he kind of waited for the next step after being assistant to the speaker and, and the D, you know, the, this, this campaign chairman. And it never came. And when he saw Barbara McCulsey of Baltimore retiring, he saw an opportunity to move to the next chamber. What I find amazing about this is he's, he's out there, he waited for six years for a promotion in the House. And he was uh, senator-elect for about 10 days when he got his first promotion in the Senate. He hasn't even been sworn in yet. And they asked him to, guess what, run the campaign apparatus, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. I mean, he has not been sworn in, and he already got his first promotion. That just shows you how frustrating it can be for ambitious Democrats. And he got a seat on the Appropriations Committee, for that matter, Correct. too. So it's been a good few weeks for, for him. I, I guess it should be remembered, Pelosi, uh, as you said, a master tactician, uh, arm twister, tireless fundraiser. Uh, she carried the Obamacare literally across the House floor on her back for the administration. Uh, she put up the votes for the financial bailout in, in 2008 when Republicans wouldn't. It seems hard to make the case she's putting personal ambition over the party's best interest. It, it, it is in those examples, but those examples are now almost 10 years old. And, and I think that that is what some of the people who are in Tim Ryan's you know, corner were saying is that nothing can take away Nancy Pelosi's accomplishments on a, on a level where she was the first you know, woman elected speaker to getting something that many people thought was unachievable, which is health care reform in the, in the country. Um, but they're all in the past. And there has not been a big level of accomplishment while the Democrats have been in the minority. And one another argument against the fundraising thing, which, yes, she is a prodigious fundraiser, but so was Hillary Clinton. Mm. And if the if money was going to be the yardstick, then Democrats would be in a much better position than they are now, where they're in the minority in every level of government. She's 76. She's been the top House Democrat since 2003. Uh, she's known for rewarding colleagues who are loyal to her and, and keeping vendettas with those who aren't, weren't, like John Dingell. Uh, what, who, who are some of the strong allies uh, in, in this leadership race? Well, you mentioned some of her, I mean, so, some of her leadership team. I mean, the, the, it's not the most cordial relationship, say, with Steny Hoyer, who's the minority whip. However, they, do, they have worked sort of hand in hand as a team since the early 2000s when Richard Gephardt left his position as, as minority leader. And they've been, they are, they are rivals, but they are also, a, it's a sort of a team of rivals where Hoyer has his constituencies that he reaches out to among more conservative Democrats, new Democrats, blue dogs. Nancy Pelosi has her own, you know, relationships, particularly with the progressives in, in, the, um, in the caucus. So they've worked well together. On the, on the side of the newer generation, 
probably Nancy Pelosi's um, most visible and vocal surrogate has been Eric Swalwell, who is a Bay Area Democrat. I mean, he is the vice chairman of the steering committee. Um, he's on the intelligence committee. He's been he's a very articulate sort of answer all your questions, remember your name, connecting person and is, is really an up and comer. Um, but the it, it's interesting at the leadership elections, you saw, you know, a sort of a, a a very small victory lap. It wasn't there wasn't a lot of ticker tape coming down from this. And while her surrogates were there and they were on message with their their points, it wasn't there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm. With Tim Ryan's people, they were they took this one to heart. They were very depressed uh, and angry, you know, with some of them saying, if, if we don't change, if something doesn't change from this top down approach that we have, we are going to be in the minority for for decades. CQ Magazine Deputy Editor Jason Dick on Nancy Pelosi surviving a challenge to her role as top House Democrat in the 115th Congress. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find all of our podcasts at rollcall.com forward slash podcast. Have a good week.